This is More to Talk About, where well-told stories rumble in our stomachs, race through our thoughts, and dance in our toes long after the curtains have closed or the credits have rolled. Here, we immerse ourselves in dynamic conversations with the culture makers and creators of today's most acclaimed works on stage and on screen. I'm your host, Andrea Ambam, and there is so much more to talk about. So let's get to it. Hello, friends. It's Andrea Ambam, and this is More to Talk About. Today, we're going to continue our deep dive into Flex, a new play written by Candrace Jones that is the heartfelt and adrenaline-packed coming-of-age journey following five high school ballers in 1998 Arkansas. Flex has no help from special effects, magic, or CGI. The actors on stage are dribbling, passing, and shooting the basketball for real. So much so that the playwright had to write multiple scenarios into the script, depending on whether the actors on stage swish or miss. When I first decided to write the play, I decided this is a play that, you know, that is made by a Black woman and it is for Black people. But I do know that so many Black women artists have poured into this play to keep the Blackness very true. From the first Black woman Olympic gold medalist, Alice Coachman, to emerging stars like Angel Reese, the athleticism displayed in Flex makes way for a necessary discussion about the unique experiences of Black woman athletes. And I found the perfect woman to talk to. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Leecha Carter, and I am the CEO and founder of the Coalition for Food and Health Equity. Dr. Leisha Carter is a Fulbright scholar, feminist changemaker, and expert on inclusive and equity-focused practice in sport, health, and wellness. Dr. Carter has presented internationally and published peer-reviewed publications, book chapters, and popular articles on feminist sports psychology, Black feminist politics, social justice, feminist leadership, gendered racism in sport, inclusion, and diversity. Too long, don't read. She's literally, I'll say it again, the perfect person for a conversation about flex. So we began with myths and misconceptions about Black women athletes. I also want to talk about the confidence that we saw on stage today. The confidence from, yeah, yeah. Right? It's both the actual actresses and the characters that Candace wrote really showcase what it means to be someone who knows you're freaking good at something. And it's really awesome to see that embodied on stage. And then I think about that also in the, in the larger societal role, right? Especially athletes and especially Black women, when they display that kind of confidence, the way in which, especially when it's public, it can be turned and ridiculed and pointed at them. Serena Williams has been, people have been like, why are you so confident? It's Shakira Richardson after winning. I'm not worried about the world anymore. I've seen the world be my friend. I've seen the world turn on me. But at the end of the day, I've always been with me. God has always been with me. So being on this scale now, it's my time. It's always been my time, but now it's my time to actually do it for myself. And the people that felt like me, the people that look like me, and the people that know their truth about themselves as well, I represent those people. You know, so there's so many displays, right, of the way in which people have been knocked down 
for being like, I'm really good at this. What's that about? Yeah, I mean, when we see athletes like Serena Williams and Shakari Richardson stand in their authentic truth of being an exceptional athlete, right? I mean, let's talk about what it takes to perform at that level, right? That's, it's more than just their job, it's their passion. They're getting up and they're doing two-day, three-day practicing. They're eating a certain type of diet to fuel their body. They have a certain set of sports psychologists around them that help them understand what performance looks like optimally for each of their races or their performance. This is, this is completely different. And they have every right to be completely unapologetic. And I think that when we see Serena Williams, if you all remember that match a few years ago where she was, she, she, she debated with the, the line judge, right? Yes. And they captured, they created a character of her, right? Big mouth and big, you know, yeah. they, and so much so that they masculinized her, right? They stripped away her femininity because she was being unapologetic about knowing what was a good call and not a good call. And I think... Serena and, and who else would be the best at knowing what a good call is? Yeah. But because she was unapologetic, because she was genuine and she stood in her truth, and because she challenged uh, a patriarchal and a sexist system that says, particularly in tennis, which is much more conservative, that you're not allowed to challenge, she challenged it, right? Then they said, we're going to create an idea around you being a, uh, a challenging woman, a hard woman. You're damn near like a man. That's what they did. And the same with Shakari Richardson, right? She's unapologetic. She is exactly who she is. And in order to perform at that level, you have to be, you know, exactly who you are, you know? I mean, we've seen these trends with other women as well, but we, we do see it most often with more darker complexion women, right? There's colorism that pervades the narratives and the depictions of uh, professional women in sport. And it gives a little bit more leeway to lighter skin uh, black women of color than darker skin ones. Yeah, I'll never forget that video of Serena. I think she said, I have a daughter and I'll stand up for what is right for her when she's talking to um, that person about the call. Now Serena's confused by the score being called out. I didn't get coaching. I didn't get coaching. You need to take, you need to make an announcement that I didn't get coaching. I don't cheat. I didn't get coaching. How can you say that? the insinuation that she was cheating than anything else. It's not fair. As you're talking about athletes today, you think about, uh, you know, even when, okay, this is across sports, both in the WNBA and the NBA and soccer and tennis, when athletes have dared to speak up, I think about Colin Kaepernick, I think about telling LeBron James to shut up and dribble, there's something about America and our love for sports, which is patriotic, right? It's like in our blood, the way we see sports and revere athletes. But it is very much like you are doing this for us. You go out and you represent America and you don't get to say anything else. You don't get to have other thoughts. You are using your body for us. Yes. 
I mean, there's, there's two things in that. I mean, one, not to go too far back in sport history, but when we look at college sport, the origination of college sport and some aspects of professional sport, it originated from the structure of amateurism, right? And what amateurism means, which is you play and don't get paid. You play and you don't benefit from your performance. This goes all the way 1900s and, you know, further back. And so the institution of amateurism creates a class-based system, right? Because as an amateur, you're not, you know, making any money. You're not, you know, getting the, uh, this type of platforming that we see nowadays. And so all of that is good for the institution of sport is your body for the entertainment value and for spectatorship, right? And then there should be some feeling of privilege and honor for being able to be viewed, right? Your body to be viewed and to be consumed for entertainment. And that, that amateurist idea, which is so great that college athletes have fought this and now we have the NIL and all of that. So at a systems level, at a, a regulation or policy level, we see changes, but that is the insidious norms, cultural norms that are, you know, underneath that, that we, uh, that impact how people react to athletes is there. So when we, when um, uh, that, that, that commentator said, shut up and dribble, She's, she is pulling from this class, this classist amateuristic idea that you're only good for sport and there's no other value to you other than your body and performance for our consumption, right? I need to tell you that was, that was college sport up until about a year ago. Dr. Carter's wealth of knowledge about the history of Black women in sports sent me down a rabbit hole of more questions about Black women athletes, the WNBA, and the connections to feminism, racial justice, and other movements for liberation. Instead of talking you through my chaotic Google searches, I sat down with two more Black lady experts. My favorite. Meet award-winning feminist activist, writer, speaker, and podcaster, Jamia Wilson. Hi, I'm Jamia Wilson, and I'm an executive editor at Random House Books. And welcome a Forbes 30 Under 30 award-winning sports host and digital creator, Christina Williams. Hi, my name is Christina Williams. I'm the founder of Girls Talk Sports TV, and I'm a WNBA reporter. Thank you both so much. Can we give them a round of applause for joining us? Christina, you have an extensive background in basketball, and I just want to talk about your first memories of on the court in the WNBA. What was your origin story with basketball that led you now to being a WNBA reporter founding Girls Talk Sports TV? Uh, The first touch points for me in terms of my experience with basketball happened around the age of 10, just realizing that some of the programs I attended didn't have girls basketball teams. They had boys basketball teams, but not girls basketball teams. So just from that young age, being able to advocate for myself and for the girls that wanted to play sports and saying, hey, we want to play sports. We can make a team. We got 10 girls. Let's do it. Um, Just from that early age. And then also, if you can see her, you can be her. So I grew up in Harlem, New York. Again, I went to school right down the street at LaGuardia. (laughs) Yes. yes, Harlem's here. Harlem's here. I love it. Um, Hey, Harlem. 
again, I went to middle school and high school, like not far from here, um, not far from Lincoln Center. But um, so back back to the story. But you can see her, you can be her. So growing up, there was this girl named Shannon Bobbitt, and she played at Tennessee with Candace Parker. And she was from the neighborhood, and you would hear all these stories about Shannon um, beating all the neighborhood kids, girls, guys, grown men, everything. And so just being able to see her in the neighborhood and how far basketball took her in terms of being recruited by Pat Summit, then being drafted by the Los Angeles Sparks, um, just seeing someone where I was from, being able to reach those heights because of basketball inspired me. And I knew my limits when it came to playing. So I knew when I got to college that I really just wanted to focus on the storytelling aspect. Statistics shows that less than 4% of media coverage is allocated to women's sports. And that's even less when it comes to the WNBA. And then there's a racial disparity when it comes to coverage of white athletes versus black athletes and this whole thing. And so for me, I'm someone who doesn't necessarily like to sit on the sidelines when it comes to my life. I want to get in the game of life and be that solution, be the change that I want to see. So I founded Girls Talk Sports TV in 2018 as a way to kind of combat that statistic and just covering the WNBA and sharing the daily news and updates 24-7. I'm a millennial, so I grew up in the digital age in that weird space of where I knew some of the technology and stuff from the 90s, I guess, but also um, very familiar with new technology and new ways to cover the game. Um, and so just putting all of that together, creating this platform um, where, you know, the news of the day was accessible to, to fans um, because... It lacked visibility in broadcast television, um, things like that. So just trying to be the change that I wanted to see. Started at the age of 10, I guess, and now in my 30s, just still trying to be that change. Yeah, you you really are that change, and it's... um been incredible, I think, over the last couple of years, and and it's taken decades and decades of work to see how it's grown, right? How the audience has grown, how support from the NBA and other sports organization and men allies has grown, and really given the different players and different teams an opportunity to say, hey, we're here, we're playing hard, we're playing well, come watch us, come support us, come fund us. And when I was reading about the WNBA, I wasn't you know when statistics, you're like, that's not shocking, but it is shocking, right? When you just see the number, 80% of the WNBA is African-American. Um, and I felt like I, I was like, again, not shocked, but shocked, where I was like, wow, yeah, that, but that's very high. It's a high number. And the WNBA has also been a huge part in leading activism. The athletes have stood up, they've protested, they've been quick to speak. And that, to me, was so reflective of what we see Black women doing in social justice movements, just period. And Jamia, I know you talk a lot about this, so I just want to hear your thoughts about that statistic, 80% of the league being African-American, and the way we know the WNBA has shown up with cultural activism, and then where you've seen that as well, Christina, in reporting. I am originally from the South, and I come from a basketball-loving family. My late grandmother was a high school basketball player for Allen White High School in Tennessee, and they went as far as high school nationals and got to meet Eleanor Roosevelt, but they didn't get their medals until the 90s and the living remaining team members were able to pick those up. My grandmother did get to have that experience in her life and she went on to Tuskegee where she was on the basketball team and also taught Tuskegee Airmen how to swim. So I take a lot of interest in watching how 
women in sports are taking the lead because that is one of the industries where you can also see women in executive leadership making the systems possible and the channels possible to be building these pipelines of change makers who are amazing ballers, amazing players, but they also become amazing philanthropists and movement leaders and activists and cultural visionaries. I am so excited about the kinds of college activism you see from people who are aspiring to become a part of the WNBA. For example, I wrote a children's book titled Young, Gifted, and Black, and it has a sequel book after that where it's a compendium of biographies about black people around the world who've done excellent things. And one year, and I could have died because my grandmother and I were Pat Summit super fans, and I did get to go to see the WNBA the year that it started, where the Lady Vols uh, featured my book. And for every day of the Black History Month, they read a different biography to children online about Black history, white players and Black players. And thank you. It, it really made my life. <laughs> Um, there was some sort of feeling I thought where I thought, Grandma, I don't know how you did this, <laughs> but I'm loving it. But also that feeling of, oh, they, they are playing and they are giving so much of their heart on the court, which is why I cried throughout this whole thing. <laughs> so good. And they also recognize the position that they are in to change society and to mobilize and in the movement to take a knee, to see the sacrifices people made um, to see the stakes that people were aware that um, some hold more than others because of the many intersections of their lives um, were really outstanding, which is why I felt the need to become very active in the movement to get Brittany Griner home. So I, I think that we are in a time right now where I want us to continue to support the WNBA, to go to those games, to really be active. I heard something the other day about why is it that they call the Women's World Cup the Women's World Cup and the World Cup's just called the World Cup. And I want to get to that point where we talk about the WNBA and society as the grand athletic force it is, athlete of any time. I mean, that's why when I refer to Serena and I say goat, <laughs> I don't refer to her as the women's goat. She is the goat. The, yes. The goat. <laughs> yes. And so that is something that I think that we uh, each need to aspire to do, and which is why I hope that we have as many people as we can to come here and get inspired to have this experience and then also go and watch these games at every level. I think the biggest example I can remember as of late is obviously the Brittany Griner situation, but then you go back to 2020 during the pandemic where yeah. the Atlanta dream literally helped flip democracy. It flipped mm -hmm. that seat um, in Atlanta with uh, Warnock. And so that just that experience during the pandemic as a Black woman, um, I can relate to these players. We're nearly the same age. Uh, just being able to tell their story, um, them trusting me and feeling safe enough to talk to me, to be able to open up um, to, to tell their stories, that was super important. Just like I said, if you can see her, you can be here, but also um, just having people that look like us in newsrooms. There's also studies that show that less than 2% of newsrooms, specifically in sports, have Black women present in that. So hiring more people that look like us in certain positions um, definitely helps when it comes to coverage. Coverage is also the driving force when we talk about and think about investment into the league. Um, just 
again, telling the stories of the African-American athletes. So. Can I tell you a story? I went to my first ever WNBA basketball game this year, the New York Liberty versus the Connecticut Sun. And while I won't always remember the stats, final score, or the details of every play, shout out to all the hardcore fans who do, I will never forget what it felt like to watch women at the top of their craft play with power and passion like no other. At a time in America when our literal bodies, especially those of Black and trans women, are under attack, I sat in the risers genuinely inspired by these athletes flexing skill, determination, and resistance through the game of basketball. The play Flex by Candrace Jones taught me that the world of athletics is absolutely a necessary microcosm to explore and practice the kind of justice we want in our larger society. Athletes like Brittany Griner, Asia Wilson, Coco Goff, Simone Biles, they give me hope and remind me just how strong and capable we all are. Talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of More to Talk About. Talk more by visiting our curated digital hub, where you'll find more to read, more to watch, and more to listen to, so you can feed those ongoing curiosities. That's www.moretotalkabout.com. Or you can click on the link in the episode description. I'm your host, Andrea Ambam, and this podcast is produced by me and edited by Anton Dohi. Executive producers include Becca Nutt, Julia Dunnitz, Adrian Becker, and the team at Level Forward, working to connect people through story-driven, impact-minded entertainment that pushes the boundaries of access and opportunity for all. Special thanks to Spotco, Red Sand Project, and the entire team behind Flex at Lincoln Center Theater. See you next time. Bye.